0: Welcome back party people to the place everybody wants to be, you know it, you love it, it of course is Victory Lane. Today is episode 151 and we have a very different but still great episode on the docket for you here today. It's Noah Sweet, you guys may know him as Lefty or Lefty Designs on Twitter, We got into a lot of different things with him. We discussed his process, some of the work that he's done, all those different renders and paint schemes and liveries that he posts on social media. If you know him, though, you do know that Noah also suffers from anxiety, depression. He's battling some mental health issues, and that kind of came to a head a couple years ago in September, and that hashtag, WeLoveLefty, started trending on NASCAR Twitter. And, you know, we sat down and we chatted and turned into a pretty long extensive chat where he really really opened up about that time and kind of how he's still being affected by that and how it's still kind of being worked through on his end i think that it was a and i said this in the chat but it was a very important impactful conversation it's a bit different from the stuff that we usually do here on victory lane we usually keep it jovial keep it lighthearted keep it fun informative informational and we did do a lot of that in this conversation but We did keep it pretty serious. And um, I think that it's worth listening to whether or not you battle those issues or know somebody that battles those issues, it's definitely worth listening to. And Noah's story is one that needs to be told. I'm glad that he told it and was honored that he felt comfortable telling it to me. And I think that you guys will, will really appreciate hearing everything from his perspective. Before we do any of that though, we got to hit the Wayback Machine, and Papa Siegel is going to pay it back to an interesting name in the world of NASCAR. Who could we possibly be talking about this week?
1: Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 151. Last week, we highlighted Geoff Bodine with an honorable mention to Georgia old timer Gober Sosby. Who knew that Sosby made more hay in the 51? than he did in the 50. 693 starts for the 51 car, and only two wins. Those wins came from, you guessed it, Gober Cletus Sosby. He raced in the Ragtop Convertible Series. He raced on the Daytona Beach Course, and won that race in 1949, 50, and 51. He also raced on the high banks at Daytona and the 1959 500 was his last race. He ran 71 races over a nine-year career, and his two wins came at the Hayloft Speedway in Augusta, Georgia in 1952, as well as the Central City Speedway in Macon, Georgia in 1954. That country enough for you? When you think of Dawsonville, Georgia, you obviously think of the Elliots. But before Awesome Bill and Chase and Ernie, there was Gober Sosby, who lived and died in Dawsonville. And if all that wasn't enough, any day you get to say Gober Sosby has to be a good day, am I right? That's all for today. Back to you, Doove.
0: Thank you, Dad. Yes, it's always a good day when you get to say the name Gober Sosby. What a name. We've heard some weird names in NASCAR over the years and in motorsports, but Gober Sosby, I may put that knocking on the door of the Mount Rushmore of strange names in NASCAR, but that's neither here nor there. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good (laughs) old-fashioned and throw it over straight over to our chat with Noah Sweets, better known as Lefty or Lefty Designs. He is a paint scheme designer Extraordinaire. How'd he get his nickname, Lefty? Well, he's going to tell us how to get his passion and interest in designing and art in general, how it relates to motorsports. Dives into that. His process creatively, how that kind of works. He had a recent paint scheme that hit the track that may live on long after his time. We'll see. That's one of his goals in his career in terms of designing. And like I mentioned kind of off the top of the show, this is a very, very serious, important and informative chat as it relates to mental health, anxiety, depression. That's kind of a topic that I don't talk about a lot on the show, um, but it's it's something that a lot of people don't talk about in general either. And you'll hear Noah say before he kind of dives into it, you know, it's something that may be thought of as taboo and a lot of people don't touch on it because they're not comfortable talking about it, or they just don't feel comfortable listening to people talk about it, what have you. But I really do think that in today's day and age, in the place in society that we're at, it's really, really important to be open and honest about those things and to listen to people that have had real world, real life experiences dealing with mental health. So I really, really am excited for you guys to hear this chat with Noah because, as I mentioned, although it's a little bit different from what we usually do here on the podcast, I think that hopefully you will get as much information and learn as much from this as I did, and you'll have a better appreciation for Noah the designer, Noah the human being, and also what other people around the entire world are going through on a day-to-day basis as it relates to mental health. So. Um, I don't know if like you could put a trigger warning in front of the podcast or whatever, if I can, I will, um, but I want to let you guys know that there are some topics discussed in here that may be a little bit more heavy and serious for some people, so there's nothing that's gruesome or anything you know, as it relates to anything being quote-unquote gross or something that will gross somebody out, but very serious topics, very, very important topics, and I'm really looking forward to see what you guys think about it. Without further ado, here's my chat with paint scheme designer extraordinaire, Lefty Designs, the man, the myth, the legend himself. It is Noah Sweet. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week. You may know him as Lefty, Lefty Designs, Noah, Mr. Sweet, the Sweetie Pie. He's my Sweetie Pie today. How the heck are you, Noah Sweet? Good morning, even though it's the afternoon.
2: Well, after that nickname, I'm feeling a lot better. (laughs)
0: Probably the first time anybody's called you Sweetie Pie besides your mom, huh? Uh,
2: A couple substitute teachers, they want to make nicknames and that's like the first thing they get, so.
0: (laughs) I did it on the fly. I don't know if it's going to stick, but I guess time will tell. We'll see. (laughs) All right, so full disclosure, it's 3 p.m. right now. You woke up recently because you stayed up late. What were you working on?
2: Oh, all sorts of fun stuff. One on a motor coach for an old NASCAR driver. Wow. Uh, a scheme for Nashville and uh, a couple of renders for a post I made when I woke up. So that was about it. I was also in like a voice call on Discord for a bit. I was kind of bouncing around trying to get people to keep me company because it gets kind of lonely in here.
0: I feel that. The, the deep hours of the night, that's sometimes when you like do your best work, but it's also kind of lonely because everybody's just sleeping, like normal yeah. people. Yeah.
2: And sometimes you wake up in the morning and go, why did I think that looked good? And you just delete all of it. Like the best part.
0: <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, and I'm glad we were able to connect and carve out some time on both our schedules. First off, right, everybody on Twitter may know you as Lefty. Where did the nickname come from? Are you a Lefty?
2: Uh only with my foot and my skateboard. Uh but the name the name itself, I've talked about it a couple times. There was a couple reasons why I went with it. Uh the biggest one was just At the time, I was trying to think of a one word name that kind of rolled off the tongue easy. So that way, you know, whenever I'm brought up in discussion, they don't have to like use like an acronym or something. Right. Right. And then on top of that, you know, also the cars turn left. So it was a little bit of low hanging fruit. But I always kind of viewed whenever I go into making like a design, I sit down and make something, I want it to be something that is not different, but unexpected. Right. Like a totally different view on it, right? Where it's almost like a left-hand pitcher is coming up to the mound, right? Hmm. So you know, whenever someone sees a left-hand pitcher goes up, the announcer always says it's a lefty, right? So it just it just kind of felt like a name that would fit along with you know, the uh, the pre-existing you know NASCAR turns left with also kind of being unexpected. So I don't know. Those two kind of those two kind of differentiate each other. So. You know if you wanted to be different in nascar you would have went with like righty because the cars don't turn right at all or whatever but yeah i don't know it just kind of felt like a cool name and then i put it in the font of my grandpa my grandpa does drag boat racing he's got a number font that he uses for his uh for his number and i found the font for it so i wanted to use that font and i typed out lefty in that font I'm like that was perfect and i gave it like an angle i was like all right perfect <laughs> that was about it it took like an hour
0: Wow. All right. Some stuff to unpack there. Your grandpa does drag boat racing.
2: Did? um, I'm not sure if you can see. I could probably pull it off the door here. Hang on. I got a picture of it, actually. This is from 2011. It's like the twilight of his career. This was at St. Louis. He's pulling it off the door, and here it is. This is the boat. You can see the number right there. It looks a lot like the lefty font. But... He, this That's guy's like ass. this guy's like my hero he's like 78 now he's living in florida with a corvette so he retired pretty well
0: sweet yeah i didn't know drag boat racing was a thing oh, i mean like i knew I'm, that boat racing is a thing but i didn't know specifically yeah, like drag like boat hydroplane i mean he stuff. looked he looked badass he had a helmet yeah. on he has he's, had a, a he's never on. wrecked
2: he's never had to dry his life vest out but um he he's been doing he did that for like 30 years, I think. Wow. I don't know. He's owned three boats in his career. The first one was Black. It was called Legally Obnoxious. Then he got that one. <laughs> that one's called Flat Out of Hell because he lived in Hell, Michigan. You know where that is? It's, I know whereabouts. He, yeah. he was like near Gregory on Half Moon Lake, uh, which is connected to Patterson. And he wanted to name his boat something proper. And it was a flat bottom boat uh, from Hell, Michigan. So he called it Flat Out of Hell. So that Fair was, enough. that was the boat he pretty much made, you know, made him popular, I guess. Everybody calls him Papa Dan. So it. he kind of, he kind of lived his life based on his grandkids. And I went to seven, six, six drag boat events. I don't know. I went to a lot of them. The last one I went to was in like, I want to say like 2012.
0: Interesting. I don't know. He
2: has, he hasn't done it in a while. He sold all of his boats, but yeah. Yeah, that's where the the lefty font comes from.
0: You think he could still get it done, 78-year-old drag race in a boat
2: if someone gave him a lot of money. Yes. Never
0: met the man, but I figured he could do it. Yeah, he'll, he 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 he'd do it.
2: He was <laughs> he was he was in the navy, so he he isn't one for quitting. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So,
0: Lefty has nothing to do with the dominant hand that you have or the dominant leg, but only when you're skateboarding. I feel like people always ask you, Oh, you must be a lefty. Yeah. yeah, That's
2: usually. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a imposter when it comes to being left-handed because everybody just thinks I am. Yeah.
0: It's all right. We'll forgive you for that. All right. Well, let's get into some of the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk to you about. And that is your unbelievably cool Designs, you know, everybody that follows you on Twitter, Instagram, all these different platforms, they see you posting renders and mock ups. And now some of them are starting to, on a more regular basis, make their way onto the racetrack, which is really, really cool. I'm going to run through a few teams. You tell me if I've missed any or if any of them are wrong. I know you make some schemes for Cola Racing, AJ and Landon, our motorsports with Fast Pasta. You did the Travis Pastrana, Carson Hosevar throwback at Darlington this year. You just debuted the Hooters paint scheme for Chase Elliott in the Cup Series, big machine racing, Gaunt Brothers racing, even do some IMSA stuff with Vassar Sullivan. I mean, you, are, you have your hands on a lot of different pots, and it's yeah. really cool to probably see your work on the racetrack on a more regular basis now, I bet.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. This year, this year really took off. This has been like the busiest I've been. Um, I kind of realized that this was all very, very serious when I had to do my self-employment taxes a couple months ago. Yeah, (laughs) I really realized, really realized how like almost like neck deep I am at this point. But what really, really gets me is what you said. Like I've been seeing these cars like on TV. Like I, I used to watch as a kid all the time. And like my favorite part of every like racing video game that I had was customizing a car. That was it. That was all I wanted it for. Like I downloaded CSR racing on my phone, just to customize cars. I didn't really care about the racing half of it. And just to go from that as a kid to like, I went to a, I went to a dinner where I visited some of my close college friends that I remember from freshman year of college. And I pointed up to the TV and my car was on TV. (laughs) it was it was it's just a it's a bizarre just feeling i guess you know because i because i always kind of did this this whole design thing as a kind of way to kind of relax kind of like make my own connection with racing because i mean let's be honest i don't have the fortitude to race a car so (laughs) it's just it's just not in the cards for me i'm too tall grandpa's jeans huh yeah, I, I, I wish I could have borrowed a couple of those and I wish I was yeah. maybe a bit shorter to fit because <laughs> every time I sit in one, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to get hurt in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it just, just the whole it, seeing those cars in Victory Lane and seeing people so excited around them and being so excited about the car and then getting like the team owner or, or something like messaging me and saying it was great, it just... It's just what it's, that's what makes me feel good. It makes me feel great. It makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, and usually when you're in design, the, the output of what you're supposed to feel from it is the process making it, are you happy with it? But I think it just, I kind of owed it to my younger self to, to be excited about seeing these cars winning and seeing them just, just racing, just on TV, you know? Absolutely. It's just, it's wild especially after you sat and looked at it on your computer screen for hours on end, you know, changing it, revising it. Yeah. It's just it, it's unreal. Like I mean, like from the first win to the uh the third win at Portland. It is just it's crazy. And they're all green cars that have won by the way. That's still a trend.
0: Yeah, but you're still a Michigan fan. That's crazy. Yeah, I
2: know. It's weird. It just I guess it just blended the two colors together and like this is what you get. <laughs> You get green. They're all like a neon green, too. It's weird. Yeah. It was like one of the worst state uniforms you guys had. <laughs> green cars are supposed to be With unlucky. The, the green? Yeah. No, yeah, I know, right? It's weird. I, green, you. I I guess. It was weird because when I heard that the uh, the Vassar Sullivan car won, I was like, son of a gun. It's another green car.
0: <laughs> Speaking of them, I know that they just won this weekend. How does how does designing an IMSA car compare in terms of workflow and the amount of time it takes to designing a cup or an xfinity car because they're just fundamentally different looking
2: oh yeah yeah they're they're extremely different now like the emsa card like it wasn't just me working on it right i play i designed the the profile of the car right so whatever you see on the spotter guide that i have on my wall here that was on my end Right. And then I had two other guys that were on the race team that helped me out with doing the top, the front bumper, the rear bumper, because there's so many dips and sharp edges and curves that it's not only just because it's that shape, but there's like a competition side to it. You have to make sure that all like whatever's going to put on the car is sometimes you got to balance it. Uh, Sometimes you have to, you know, chart out how much it'll cost, how much it'll weigh or something like that. Usually, sometimes race teams don't do that, but the ones who do, they really are on the edge of trying to find speed. And sometimes the paint scheme even gets affected by that. And you've seen that in like NASCAR before when we Mm -hmm. had like the optical uh, laser thing introduced. You got guys cheesing it, you know, with all the, the black quarter panels. And sometimes the designers are involved in that, sometimes they are. But the IMSA car was just a different animal. Because there's so many, like, whereas a stock car, it's almost kind of flat on the sides and on the top. Yeah. On the names of the car, you have to, like, go, how is this going to look from, like, a top-down view? How is yeah. this going to look from the stands? Because you got, like, and the back holes end of the car, like, it goes yeah. like that. You know? So it's like, okay. You almost have to... I, I had to get, like, a 3D model to see what it looked like, right? I had to chart it out on a model before I actually, like, sent a wrap file. Yeah. It was it was something it's, it's definitely different, but, um, I'm usually not one to back down from a challenge when stuff gets difficult design wise. So, yeah.
0: So I had Harris Lou on a couple weeks ago, months ago, maybe at this point, And I found it really fascinating to hear his background in designing and how he kind of developed a passion for it mm-hmm. and how that passion then turned into a career, which seems like you're kind of in the middle of, but, Take me back to to kid Noah. Like you said, you kind of owe it to your younger self to kind of try to be in love with this and and appreciate it for kind of what it is. When did your passion and love for designing race cars or just paint schemes in general start? And how did you end up honing that to end up kind of where you are now? And that's just kind of designing renders 24-7.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course it started when I started to really get that like craving for NASCAR, you know? my whole family um they didn't do much circle racing they were doing straight lines and that was about it even to the point where uh they did straight lines on water (laughs) it's like they didn't want to do anything besides that but they were still huge nascar fans and i lived out by i lived in brooklyn for like the longest time with my mom like from like 2007 to i want to say no, not even 2007. Like 2005 to like 2010. So like five years I lived in Brooklyn. And even before we were there, I was just really, really big in a NASCAR, and I wanted to be a race car driver, really, really, really bad. That was all I wanted to do. Every time we'd have, you know, they'd have that kindergarten graduation thing. It's like, what do you want to be? You know. So, been there. But like I said, I I did a the closest I did to racing was pedal BMX bike racing right? I did that for a couple years and went through a couple bikes and I went to the same place every time, uh, in Morency, Michigan. I'm not sure if that track is even there anymore, but I used to go there all the time. And I was so scared to pass people. I was horrified <laughs> because I was at a, I didn't want to run into them and B I didn't want to crash while doing it, you know, because I was just, The traction on the bikes—they're like really thin tires. These BMX bikes. So when you go on the turns, the turns were dirt, and I feel like I would just slip and slide away on the on the bike. So I just—I never, I mean, I never passed anybody, right? So yeah, and then but then I got like older, and I got to a point where I finally, you know, psyched myself into passing somebody, and it like felt amazing. It's like the best feeling of my life. I passed one person, went from third to second, and there's three bikes three or four or five bikes in the track. Most of the time it's progress. But yeah. But by the time I got to that point where I was like, I can do this, I can pass people. The kids were so much bigger than me and I got a lot taller. And I just, I just told my dad, I didn't want to do it anymore. Cause I just, I wasn't fast enough. And then that's where I just kind of like died out on like knowing, like, you know, I just don't think I'm going to do anything racing related. I just don't think I have it in me. And I was like probably 10, 11 at this point, but Throughout this entire time um, growing up, I had a hard time sort of communicating, right? Like I had a hard time telling my dad that I didn't want to do BMX anymore. Cause like, I I think I did BMX for two years. and I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I did it for like three more. <laughs> so, but what I would usually do in turn is I would communicate through drawing, right? I would draw just to convey my emotions. Like if I was sad, I would slide a, like a frowny face under my mom's door. Or something just let her know i'm upset because i have a hard i'd have a hard time saying it Mm because just talking wasn't really exactly my strong suit uh growing up so once it got to a point where um i started playing video games a lot when i turned when i like got to 10 11 right i had a nascar weight on my playstation and all i could do like all i did all day was just make cars i made cars with teammates and then it would get to a point where i made i like taking pictures of all those cars with this little digital camera my mom gave me and i would just have a hundred just cars like lined up in this camera Bam. where i was and then i got to a point where i'm like i can just do this <laughs> so like when i was 13 14 i would like draw cars right that's all i would do i would just draw i wasn't doing anything digital up until uh when i turned I want to say 15 15 or 16 when i saw a uh a tnt man uh nr 2003 youtube video right and i was like what is this game this game this is this is crazy it's like there's like modern cars there's old cars there's all sorts of cars that he's displaying and it's in the same game it's nice I, like
0: the backbone of everything
2: oh yeah <laughs> So I learned what that game was and I saw that it had this huge community of people who just paint cars. Right. And I was like, this looks awesome. Count me in. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I had this, I had on my computer that I got, um, when I turned like 14, I think, um, it came with a Photoshop elements program for free and Photoshop elements doesn't support groups like Photoshop CC does. So it was just single layer, like Photoshop layers. That was all you could do it was just a layer. You couldn't group layers together. And I was painting on all these like templates for BR gen six, for uh, the trucks, the Xfinity cars and stuff like that. And it, I went from replicating schemes, like I would start with replicas and then I would build up to like, well, maybe here's how I would make this paint scheme. Or, and here's a totally new concept, or here's like a, here's, here's what my car would look like if I was a NASCAR, right? Sure. And then it got to a point, uh, when I was in college, like in high school, like I was graduated from high school, going to college. And I got into iRacing, like paint schemes, right? Like I didn't do iRacing paint schemes until like 2020, like beginning of 2020. It was like right when the Camaro got updated and... Once I started doing them, um, I got contacted by a, uh, I believe his title is, he's a senior marketing manager from NASCAR. And he wanted me to work with Blue Emu in Landon Castle for the Pro yeah, Invitational for the Series. Yeah,
0: the Pro Invitational stuff, right. And that,
2: yeah, that's, that on top of the infamous Dragon Barstool car that Dale Jr. saw and got Dave Fortnoy to run, almost run. almost Where everything sort of just went Way up, just everything just started to take off. Like I've been, I'd been doing like NASCAR stuff, and I'd been like the nr 2003 community for years yeah, before yeah. that. But like when I finally got put on the map and decided I needed a name, that was where everything kind of started. Was there? Gotcha. It was, and because I remember before that, the thing that got me sort of people look at me, social media, right, was when I made these. Uh, it was when I made two things. It was when I made the Burke's Twitter Cup series car set. For Elijah Burke, you made mine, li- didn't you? Yeah, I made all of them. I made the whole entire car do set for the mine? final season. Oh yeah, of course I do. Do you, you remember I what do.
0: number and sponsor?
2: I know it was a Spartan car. Yeah. Um, was it 04? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I re- I remember it. That's a boy. <laughs> I, I that was that was like the most fun I've ever had with an NR car set. That was That's awesome. Great. But after that, I made a, a car set called Next Gen Four, where I took the muscle car late model mod and turned them into like a gen four cup car, sort of, right? Because they had like these muscle car bodies that I could use. And I took elements from what was the teased next gen, right? And sort of combined them with elements of the gen four car and made my own car set out of it. And it like, it took off. There was a lot of people who really, really enjoyed that car set. There's people making their own on top of it. I released templates for it, but that Let was... me
0: stop you for a sec, because because you're touching on a lot of stuff that I kind of want to go one by one. So you yeah. mentioned kind of like when it first started from a hobby, you enjoy drawing, that's how you express yourself. You started doing it with race cars and racing, and then it kind of blossomed into something where you're doing it for actual professionals. And now you're doing it professionally for financial gain, right? Yeah. yeah. What's, the, what's the creative process look like for somebody like you? I mean... Has it changed from when you first started designing cars to what you do now? Or is the base of it pretty much the same? Like, take me from start to finish, sped up a little bit, obviously, but how is your creative process work from concept to proof of concept?
2: So, uh, at first, I would usually just start by just scribbling things, you know, on my computer by scribbling. I mean, just dropping like uh, anchor points, making designs, and just starting out digitally cuz obviously you start out with a blank canvas all the time. But what I usually initially do, like my golden rule and I think everybody does this is you put down the numbers and the sponsors first and then work away to make sure that those are still prominent nothing's going through it, right? Cuz if you lay the design down um and then you you see that the logo goes through like a stripe or a spike, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of a pain to adjust. But um but usually what I do recently, right? like what I've gotten to because I mean I've done all sorts I if I could spend all day talking about the different ways that I made paint schemes before (laughs) even up until now because I used to use an NR2003 car viewer for my renders I would just cut it out and make it look fancy give it like shiny like graphics or something like that you know because the car viewer doesn't have any like reflection system um up until the point where I got Blender which is where everything changed but but, uh, if I could nail down my process now, it—I don't know if I have any printed off yet. But I have like blank pieces of paper that have a five-point print of a template of a car on it, and I will just start sketching out different shapes and different designs. I usually, I usually just do that as like a brain game whenever I wake up and I need to get the you know creative juices flowing. I usually just get like colored pens and get like a blank, like Camaro next gen five point template.
0: Some people and go just on start TikTok, sketching. you, you render race cars. To yeah, pretty much.
2: <laughs> but yeah. I would usually, I usually like, as of recent, most of my like official designs, I start out on paper. Like I actually like, I do the whole pen to paper process and it really, really like, it gives you a different view, right? You're so not, it hasn't you, always been that way. I mean, it's... It's it's kinda it's kinda like a, whenever you see those like um, uh like you know when they do social media ads about the paint scheme making, right? There's like a corkboard of marker and penned like designs of like that they're looking at and pointing at and which ones they like and whatnot. I, I never did that. So I was like, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should try that. Because it gives you a whole new like uh avenue it feels different because it's it feels different when you're drawing compared to when you're moving a mouse around clicking and stuff like that you know i feel like you can do different things with hand on paper and it's you could easily replicate it on a computer but usually it goes from that and then i usually don't put it right to a five point template i render it first because usually when i render it i'm able to see what the car looks like and i don't have to do any guesswork on the five point template and then when it's already on a 3d model i have it presented to the client. I have presented a team, whoever it may be, and they approve of it. It's great because it's not like they're looking at an image of a five point template. They're looking at what the car would look like if it's wrapped, right? And then with that, I can just get into an orthographic view of the model. Like just, just click on the left side, the right side, the top. Sure. And it's really, really easy for me to just move that window over in Blender onto one screen or maybe like have it if you only have one. And then I literally have a view of what it needs to look like on the five point. I don't need to do any guesswork on where it goes up over the hood and then connects to the fender or whatever. It shows you right there. So it's, it's, it's just a, I, I didn't, I wasn't taught that process. I just kind of learned it myself.
0: Start to finish. Like when you're designing a paint scheme, and I'm sure it probably varies, but how yeah. long would you approximate? It takes you to, to go from concept to proof of concept. And I, again, I, it probably varies, but if you had it, to put it, does. On it does. It, it
2: varies on, um, like obviously, it varies on like what the premise is, like how much I'm being limited, uh, what they sometimes want. Sometimes i see you like, like
0: tweet like I might design a, a Red Bull F1 car, yeah. and then 20 minutes later, it's up and it yeah, looks like unbelievable. For, for, yeah, for
2: things where I have no one on my shoulder telling me what to do, I have no, yeah. I have no guidelines that I have to go by, right? I can get something done really, really fast, but it's the part where, you know, but that's me translating what's in my head and putting it on a paper. But when you're doing it with a client, you have to take what's from their head and put it onto your paper. Right. So you're kind of, you're kind of that route between someone's idea and them being able to see it. And you have to, you have to make sure you get that translated perfectly from there to there or else you'll get revisions you know you got to turn it to them ask what they want to change and then they yeah. refine what they you know gave to you the corporate you world to them. They say. yeah it's it's it, it takes a lot longer to work with yeah. a client you know sometimes it's not sometimes they give you full creative liberty right sometimes they say go crazy because they just enjoy your work i've had that Which a couple nice, times I bet. <laughs> yeah and, it, and it's great <laughs> it's fantastic but most of the time when you have a serious company because Sometimes, you know, when you see paint schemes, sometimes it's the guy at the shop, or sometimes it's someone that the sponsor has gotten, right, Mm -hmm. or the sponsor works with. And um, in my particular case, like, the Vassar Sullivan car was the team coming to me, right, whereas the Hooters car was the sponsor coming to me, Mm -hmm. right? So it's two totally different avenues. So with the team, you don't have that middleman of, like, here's what needs to be changed competition-wise, here's what we can't wrap, but when you're working with a sponsor, the sponsor then has to communicate with the team and say, hey, are these logos in the right spot? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And then the team is to convey that information to the sponsor and then back to me. So yeah. What I'm it. really what I'm really saying is when I sit down and make a concept that I want to post on social media, done. It's already done. Right. It's pretty much, it's pretty much already done once the thoughts in my head. But when I have to do something where I have to translate something that somebody wants onto my paper, sometimes it takes as long as like month and a half (laughs) sometimes it takes but sometimes if it's like sometimes it takes maybe three days two days sometimes a day just depends It, it. it it varies so much and it usually depends on the sponsor depends on the car depends on the team because sometimes teams want their number to be the same on the roof uh sometimes sponsors only want schemes that are two colors and there's some teams that are literally limited to the base is this color. It has this certain design on the front end. It has to be blacked out on the top, or it's, it's. Sometimes it gets really, really, really tedious, yeah. and you have the to. As a designer, scale
0: varies depending yeah. on who you're. with and wearing, as a I designer,
2: guess. you have to exploit as much as that as humanly possible to make it look different and new, and still make people happy and make it look good. Obviously, because you know sometimes you have to crack a few eggs in order to. You know get what you want out of a design so yeah you never really know until someone sees it because you know it kind of it's not doesn't really matter if you like it it matters if the client likes yeah it. so was the uh
0: was the jimmy ally car the first car that actually was on track that you designed
2: surprisingly yes that was okay. that was the first time i'd ever had a real wrapped car on a racetrack yeah. So
0: that that's what I thought. So we're gonna get to that, but before we get to that, we have to kind of go backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, right, the hashtag we love Lefty. That may be one of the first things that a lot of people kind of got exposed to you specifically talking about Twitter and different forms of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that happened on September second, twenty twenty. I I remember that day pretty vividly. I'm curious if if you remember any specific details about that day or, or what happened that day just your overall recollections of of that kind of span and time period for you on that specific day
2: it was uh, I mean that whole like year it was it was very uh, just if I had to, like it was just kind of tough on me I don't know it was it was my first year of like college I was going to a really big like art institution in Detroit lot of pressure on me i did great first semester second semester um a lot of a lot of my uh a lot of my anxiety started to really start really started to peak you know um it was the first time i'd been in a school different than my girlfriend for, for like because i've known her since like fourth grade so just being in a different school from her was really anxiety inducing and being in a school in Detroit, a really big school with a lot of important people. And it was really anxiety inducing driving an hour out there was anxiety inducing. It's just pretty much everything that I woke up and I, and I did, I'd have to find a way to sort of stifle it. Cause it just was, I would just get the shakes and it would just, it would suck. Did and you
0: have anxiety before this time period? I
2: sure did. Yeah. There was a couple of times where like before cross country races, like there was one race that I didn't start. because so it was just, it was just so bad, you know? And it, keep in mind at this point, I was totally undiagnosed. So I didn't, I, you know, I just, I, I, I felt like me, you know, getting, you know, knowing that I have anxiety now, knowing that I'm diagnosed now, it's, a, if, it, it's better because I'm getting proper help whenever I need help. There's people who know how to handle it because they know what I have. But back then, it just, I felt like I was showing a sign of weakness, you know, showing that I was, and if people knew that I had, like, anxiety, people would, like, look at me differently, you know, I just didn't want to be looked at that way, I wanted to be looked at, I was fine, and, but, you know, that's, that's, that was, like, when I was, like, 18, right, I was slowly becoming an adult, and uh, what what all mounted up to that day was just, A lot of people say it was, you know, just the result of just the kind of is a lot of awful stuff I was getting after I made a a, a pride car in June, which usually I've seen pride cars before. People have made pride cars before me, right? They've made plenty. But the, I guess the difference between the cars that were made and one that I made was I took a pre existing design already, it was something that was recognizable and made it a pride car. You know what I mean? So it kind of rustled some feathers. And in all honesty, when I did it, I should have have expected that there was gonna be people that really didn't agree with it and weren't gonna like it and were gonna be a little upset about it. You know, I had people messaging me saying it was disrespectful to do that because Jimmy has a wife and kids, right? That he's not gay, Because because I made that car, right? And it goes from that to, um, I mean, that's pretty minor, right? To had some really, really awful things. And it got to a point where um, that barrier between, you know, internet, you know, and internet slander and stuff like that, and people harassing you to uh, reality. So, you know, when that line got crossed, um, It just, it really set me off. I just felt like, you know, that anything, if anything happens to any of my friends, any of my family, now that that line's been broken, I feel like it's going to be my fault, you know? So it just, it really, it scared me. I was, I was really, really scared, right? And I just went on this, Uh, It was everything I did that day was very, very emotional and it was very, very fueled by fear. And like I said, anxiety and I was in a very, very depressed state at that time. And it was really, really low point in my life. It was really, really, I don't think I've ever been in a worse situation because I spent like from like April that year to September, I was throwing rocks in a glass house. It was really, really rough. I was uh, snapping back at people. I was, you know, being rude. I closed a lot of friends off, you know, and it got to a point my parents had noticed. And, you know, unfortunately, they didn't really notice up until, you know, the situation that unfolded. And it just was, you know, I was scared of the people that were saying they are going to come after me and just kind of. Felt like I made a mistake, you know, and just, you know, we, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a temporary topic, but, you know, talking about depression and, and suicide is definitely something that sometimes gets people a little like, eh, let's, let's change the subject, you know, but, you know, I mean, I've gotten to a lot of points where I've, I've come to that. And like I said, I never wanted to tell anybody, never wanted to, uh, you know, make it obvious, but, um, the moment I started making it obvious, right. I tried to open up to people, maybe, maybe get help, right. Maybe talk to people who go through the same thing. Right. Sure. And hopefully, you know, maybe I could understand something about myself without having to, you know, do anything about it, but, um, the, uh, I guess the uh, the breaking point was really where uh, it was just that feeling of, like, just not, it was very hopeless. You know what I mean? Just just a hopeless feeling of where you just kind of, you don't want to be alive, but you also, you know, you don't have it in you to, you know what I mean? You don't have it in you to to do something like what I was talking about. So it oh, yeah. it um it uh I don't know. It that that day was just it was a mess. I don't remember much of it either. But I I ran off. I, I shut my phone off. I said a lot of things that really scared a couple of people and I I didn't think it would honestly, you know, I don't even remember what I said, to be honest with you. But it it, it really got people from what I from what I remember, from what people told me, there was a lot of my friends who brought it to people's attention that it could be in danger. And um, it uh scared my family, scared my friends, you know. And like I said, I didn't I didn't mean to do all of that because it just everything was happening really fast. Every everything was just kind of a rush and i guess it took a couple hours for my stepdad to find me um i was like a, a couple miles away but he knew exactly where to find me because i usually went there all the time when i get upset and uh they took me to the emergency room um like drew my blood and stuff like that i can't remember why and uh they had to sit me in like a uh, this was like when COVID was like, uh, I think I think there's a lot of people. I just remember a lot of people being in the hospital. There wasn't a room available for me and I had to stay in like a checkup room overnight. But they also had to keep my door open and had a wristband on me because I was on suicide watch and they had to keep that door open the whole night. There had to be someone sitting in the doorway watching me and I was just in nothing but a like a gown It was cold and that table was not comfortable. And then the next morning they like put me in a, uh, like a stretcher and like strapped me down and put me in the back of a, like a, uh, an ambulance and we drove like an hour out to a mental institution. And that's where I stayed for, uh, I want to say, I think it was seven or eight days where uh, I got like, I got like real, help, you know, and, uh, just that whole process of like, when I was sitting in the hospital and when I went to, uh, Marshall, it just, I just felt so dehumanized. It was like, I felt like, a I felt like they were treating me like I was like a ticking time bomb, you know, it was, it was really just, it just really got to a point where I knew I was no longer in control anymore. Like, I spun out of control so badly that this is where we're at now. And I think when I got to Marshall, I just I just broke down because I knew what I did, you know. And, of course, no one was really getting these updates on social media specifically, you know. So what was really happening from what I was told was there was people sharing this hashtag for me, you know, and that someone had made a petition to get the pride card around. So, but in my head, all that was happening was like, I guess just in reality, it was just all of my, a lot of personal problems that I had had finally mounted that day, you know? And uh, it just was rough because the whole time I was in there, everybody I had called that told me about what was happening on social media. And I couldn't have any, I couldn't have my phone there. Um, I didn't have anything there besides deodorant and clothes. You know, so it was literally just, you know, 24 hours a day, you were working on yourself to get better, you know, and you couldn't, and you couldn't leave either. Like you can't, you can't leave these kinds of places. They're kind of in charge of that. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it kind of felt like I said, it was a helpless feeling. And I knew it was my fault. Like, I knew I could have got help. I knew I could have reached out and got someone to help me out or at least just admit, like, hey, I've got something going on. I need help. And I didn't. And it finally devolved to a point where I had a social media uh, almost, like, meltdown, you know. And it just – it could have been avoided. It's, it could have been easily, easily avoided. And uh, when I – I think initially when I came back, I felt – So much better, you know. I felt great, but deep down, I knew like there was. I still had stuff I had to work on, because they, when they when they let you go, it's more of like I understand I have a problem and we're gonna do more to fix it. But I'm I'm safe now, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna do something. It's essentially the state you have to be in. You know, I had to do therapy afterwards. I had to do I had to like get checked on. You know. Um, but just the whole, just the whole process of it, people really, I haven't really talked about this, but it's been like two years. So I feel like it's, it's easier to talk about now because it happened a long time ago, but not a lot of people knew this happened. So, um, the first mistake I made when I, you know, returned from Marshall is I just jumped right back on social media to tell people I was fine. Right. Cause I felt like I owed that to all those people who were like begging me to come back you know, so, and wanted me to be okay. So I felt like I had to get right back in and, you know, show that to people. And that was where ally racing, their account, like commented on the post that I had made saying I was back saying they wanted to DM me, they went and they sent me a zoom link to talk to, uh, Andrea Brimmer, um, who is the CMO of ally bank and Jimmy Johnson. So it was from that point that they put me on a Zoom meeting. We talked, they, uh, I told them about my story. I introduced them to my family. And they told me that they wanted me to design one of Jimmy's cars from that point, right? And I guess from that point, it was more or less like I was excited don't get me wrong, right? I was really, really excited about it, but it just felt, I don't know. I just still had that uncomfortable feeling knowing that people, you know, knew like, hey, you're like an anxious, depressed mess, dude. <laughs> you're a wreck. <laughs> you know, and I was and I was showing all those people that and I was trying to say, and I and I was telling myself, I'm okay. I went through like a week of this inpatient program. I'm fine, you know? but I just, I just knew like, I just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't done yet. And I just jumped right back into it. And I got asked to make a car for Jimmy Johnson. And I was just like, it's too late now. I can't say no. Like I got to do this. Like I have to do this. This is, this is what I would have wanted to do as a kid,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: but obviously at the time I was thinking differently, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of times now where I look at, you know, how I could have done things differently. Um, Specifically, specifically like getting myself help, but um, just, you know, uh, people will always say, no, 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 it was deserved. But every time I think of that, you know, I think of making that car, it's just, it's that feeling deep down of like knowing what the reason behind that was, right? Like what caused that? And, and, And sometimes it gets to me, but I, you know, that like, you know, it shouldn't be paraded or, or like, uh, what's it called? It shouldn't be a good thing that I, uh, that all that happened, like I shouldn't have been rewarded, but I know deep down all the people who were involved in that, just, they, they wanted to, to give me something for, you know, for going through all that. And, and I still, to this day, appreciate it. You know, I, 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 I was interviewed for a couple newspapers, um, mm-hmm. I was on a talk show. Um, NASCAR Race Hub sent people with cameras to my house and interviewed me in my home, you know? And I haven't even watched it. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> I I don't, I just I just don't want to watch it because I just, you know, I just know it's me talking about like the lowest point of my life, like the absolute yeah. worst thing that's I've ever done to myself. Like it's no one's fault but mine, right? this whole situation, but like two years later now, like looking at it now, um, the result of what happened is a, um, it got worse. Like there's more people that uh, harassed me. And I got, I got doxxed recently. Like there's people that got my phone number and were calling me and like referencing people really close to me by name there's people who got my email. I had to reset all my passwords and stuff like that. And it is just, it's awful. It is, it is, it is awful. Like it got to a point where my girlfriend was like, I could like run your account. Like I don't want you looking at it bad. <laughs> I don't, it, it, it. it's just, it's the internet can be a great place, but it can also be a really, really, really bad place. Yep. Thankfully by now, I spent, I've spent so much time on myself personally, trying to better myself. I've gotten to a point where I can pull myself out of a situation where I'm having a meltdown and calm down. I used to never be able to do that. I used to be very, very uncomfortable with talking about things like this too. <laughs> I've got, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot better at it. I've gotten better at eye contact. I've gotten better at not stuttering, because um, I just, I used to be a mess. But like all of this, all of this, you know, even though it was like the hardest road to take. All of this has pushed me into becoming better, you know, focusing more on myself and just, you know, coming to terms with a lot of stuff. Like I had a, I cause, you know, I, I had to live with the fact that I was, you know, I was that guy, right? Who everyone was trying to help, I guess. I was, I was the pride car guy. I was, you know, the guy who, you know, had a, you know, a moment of, you know, danger, I guess, on social media. So it it just, even, I know I say like today, I've got a lot of things figured out. That's that one thing that still eats at me. It just, it feels... I just wish there was something, I just wish I could have done something different, I guess. you know. And I think the quicker I come to terms with the fact that it can't change and that there's nothing I can say or do that will, you know, make any of it feel better for me. I just have to move on from it. I think the better off I'll be. But, you know, obviously I kind of gave the long version of it, but, you know, whenever I'm talking to anybody about it, I just kind of, you know, tell them, a year ago I was a different person two years ago I was a different person I'm hoping a year from now i'll be better than i am right now just progressively getting better you know because obviously i still struggle with anxiety i still struggle with uh clinical depression you know winter sucked i hated winter was an awful time for me i was i was down pretty bad The dumps a couple times you know but warm weather's here you know it's summer you know it's it's a lot better right now you know but I'm not gonna lie and say like i am like i am perfectly fine you know like i used to say i used to say like there's nothing wrong with me anymore and then i would have another meltdown you know because there's been a couple times on social media even after you know the texas car where like i tweeted a couple things i shouldn't have tweeted and you know stuff like that and it's just i just have to get to a point where i need to be smart you know I need to learn what's worth it you know not respond to people who are just there to make me mad but, you know, I could go on just all day about this because it's just two years worth of, you know.
0: Well, I uh, I want to say, first off, thank you for sharing that. I think that's very important. I, and you know that that's important. You spoke about that, uh, you know, the importance of mental health and speaking openly about these things, because as you said, you know, you, you bring up a word like anxiety or depression or suicide. And people get all weirded out. No, well, that's not a fun topic. I don't want to talk about that, but it's real. Yeah. And you've literally lived it and you continue to. And I think, you know, it's really important for not only just people like yourself, but you know, Cody Ware's a great example of, of a yeah. driver who is racing on Sundays that's on television that goes on social media and talks very openly and candidly about his struggles with yeah. mental health. Um, so you know, first off, just I appreciate you being willing to share that, and I think that that really is going to help people that listen to this, and I think you know that as well. Yep. Um, secondly, you know, having the strength to share that type of thing. This is not me being like, "Wow, no, go you!" Like that, this is great. But I mean, yeah. I, I mean that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's one thing to come from a mental health professional. It's one thing to come from a family member. It's it's another thing to come from a friend, but this is a good thing. You know what I mean? Like the fact that you have the wherewithal to realize, you know, you were in a dark place and sometimes you continue to be in those places, Mm. but to have the foresight to say that you have issues and you want to get help and you are now receiving that, I think that speaks volumes to you, who you are personally and your character. And, um, it, I'm, I'm glad to see and to hear that, you know, you're doing better. You know, it's, it's not to say that you're doing well, because like you said, this is an, this is an ongoing process and this mm-hmm. is something that is a moving target. But the fact that you're willing and able to talk about this, um, I hope that it's, it's a bit therapeutic for you. And like you mentioned, yeah. you know, it's been a couple of years now and there's a lot of stuff that's happened in between. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen in the future. But I think that moving forward, you know, the fact that you're willing and able to talk about this, if it helps you, great. But mm. it's helping a lot of people that are listening to this that may be going through similar situations and also maybe dealing with similar thoughts but have not really been able to verbalize it or, or think about it in that way. So whether or not you realize it or know it or not, you're helping a lot of people.
2: And I want you to know that. I, I appreciate you. Honestly, like I, I've, I've been wanting to... I've, I've always wanted to you know kind of open up about you know all this because just because I see I see too often uh, where people when they don't have any details on the person, right when they see a situation where they're having a meltdown and they're having a real situation like they're having an anxiety attack, they're having a really, really big dip, you know sometimes like sometimes people will go towards you know, oh, it's just for attention, you know, they're doing, this isn't real, they're not, they're not actually doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff can really, really hurt somebody who's actually going through a situation, you know, it really, really does, you know, that's, I've, I mean, I've had so many, uh, like, like so many uh, people aim attacks at me where that's what it's centered around, like, one of the phone calls I got was, uh, someone was someone was trying to mock the police who were saying they were looking for a missing person in my hometown. Like, they named my hometown by name. And then uh, they were, like, asking for my help, trying to find this missing person, right? And they said it was me. And I hung up. It's just, you know, there's just so many people who take people who have had a story like that and want to come out about it And they treat it like it's a joke you know and that's there's just this really really bad stigma around mental health now where it's being used as it's being used as scapegoats it's being used as excuses it's being used at the bottom of jokes it's a joke that you know men's mental health doesn't you know matter or whatever and it's not like it's not like a girl or boy thing it's 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 like the humans guys it's guys that are saying it you know it's everybody you know it's just there's so many stigmas around it where it's like it's treated as if it's like something that's just used for movies yeah like as an excuse to make the character like cool or whatever but it's just romanticized and you know romeo and julietted all the way to Hollywood. you know and it just it just sucks because people who have real stories and really struggle with this kind of stuff it really hurts them it hurts me you know yeah. but i would just i would hate to see someone go through this kind of thing it's just it's not it, it's awful it's it's extremely it's ex, it's extremely hurtful you know especially if you're going through it and it just it doesn't help anybody you know because if you're going to open up to somebody you have to open up to somebody that it's closed circuit you know what i mean it's not so it's if you if you weren't if you're going to open up to somebody and you're in an ongoing situation you need to make sure that you know it's you're sharing the information with people you can trust you know don't don't go to social media and tell people what you're going through tell them when it's over when you know you're all right you know and with my situation I kind of I kind of threw myself into the mix and I kind of they didn't know they were pressuring me into sharing my story but they asked about it and I felt like it was disrespectful to say no you know Understood. But it's obviously, it's obviously different now, you know, like I'm choosing to talk about this, like with you, cause I've known you for a bit, you know, and it's just, it's a lot easier to talk about now because I've gotten to a point where I feel like I'm much better, you know, but just when, you know, you're like going through something and you know, like I might, you know, get a little upset if someone decides to, you know, target this at me and use it as, you know, mortar fire. Uh, maybe I shouldn't share it to people that I don't know. You know, you have to keep that, you, sometimes you have to keep your circuit closed and make sure whoever you're talking to, you can actually trust them. You know, they'll, you know, they're gonna help you, you know, parents, teacher, um, maybe even a coworker that you're really close to, you know, it just, it's it's much easier on yourself if you, if you keep it sort of, you know, more personal, you know, because it's about you, you know, it's not about everybody else. It's about getting yourself help, so. You know usually that requires to put yourself first you know so that's the thing that i really want to put out there because i would hate to see someone um go you know well if it worked for noah it can work for me you know and go the route i went because it's not the right route mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's it's not <laughs> it, it makes it makes things it makes things so much worse i wouldn't have to deal with people uh you know taunting me with it, you know, if I didn't ever uh, make all this public, but, you know, I've gotten to a point where I've kind of made my bed. It's kind of, it's my story, you know, and whenever you make your bed, you got to lay in it. So, you know, I do my best to, to make positives out of it. But, you know, the, 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 the whole situation where how it all unfolded, it was just, uh, just could have gone so much better. It could have gone so much worse, but there was a lot of decisions and a lot of butterfly effect going on where if I would have just done this, none of it would have ever happened, you know?
0: Yeah, I hear that. But I think the I think the main takeaway, again, should be it it could have gone so much worse. And the fact Mm -hmm. that, you know, you went and got the help, you're continuing to get the help, you're talking about it openly and helping other people while helping yourself. I think that's that should really, really be commended. And that's what I take away from it. And I hope that that's what other people will take away as well. You know, I was even going to ask you what what you would tell to some people that may be struggling with anxiety or depression or mental health, but you said it really, really well. Just kind of at the end there, which is, you know, no one path is the same to try mm-hmm. to quote unquote fix it because it's right. not something that gets fixed. Yeah, um, it's it's an it's an
2: ongoing thing that you have to yeah. just it's it's a. It's a fight. <laughs> uh, it's essentially, a fight.
0: it's a moving target, yeah. and you know not everybody's path is the same. Mm. And I think you know to your credit, you've realized that, and I think that you know you're spreading, not to be cliche, but you're spreading the gospel on social because mm. like your relationship with social media has fundamentally changed your life mm. for for good and for bad, mm. and you know you're you're kind of dealing with that that fact right now. Um, I just, again, I want to commend you for that because what you've said here today, what you continue to say on social, what you've done in the past couple years since, since that September day, it's, it's shown a lot of strength on your part, whether or not you know that or not, I mean that. And, um, it's going to, it's going to help a lot of people. So you've been super, super gracious with sharing your story and it's going to help so many people. And I think that will be, that'll be a big, big legacy thing for you I want to try to end on a positive note and end with some smiles and end with some some fun stuff um that was a nice show car you made the other day wasn't it yeah I I
2: warned people I was gonna make that I I tweeted out I was like I got a really cool like new meta for NASCAR paint schemes on social media you have to make a concept they have to make it look like a really bad show car people are like that's a great idea and then I posted mine (laughs) I saw it on like I saw it on Facebook, um, I saw it on Discord servers everywhere, man. And I, I had to be like, guys, please don't go looking for this car. It doesn't exist. It's not. <laughs> I, I and I knew I probably should have not like. I tried to make it look like it was taken on someone's phone to really give off that bad show car like vibe, you know. Yeah. And I guess it was ran with and people were like, I quit. That's the worst one. That's I think awful. it's a
0: great show car for what it's worth though. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
2: I wanted to do like, um I wanted to make it like uh, look like it had dirt on it. I wanted to add like dirt to the hood, but it like
0: a Dodge Intrepid or something.
2: It was, it was the, it was a 2005 Dodge Charger. Okay. But I took and I replaced the headlights with Chevy SS headlights and gave yeah. it Camaro fog lights and oh. put a black bow tie above the grill. The cook back up at, some
0: weird stuff in the wee hours of the night, don't you?
2: Yeah, it was, it was, it was funny. It it was cool while it lasted. It but I had to, I had to tell people I'm like, hey, uh, don't go looking for this car, please. It, it's not out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I just have to make it on iRacing now. I'm just gonna. because yeah. I, I think got that's it.
0: the rule. You have to now. People are yeah. clamoring for it.
2: But it was funny the the um, I felt bad for the horrible show car account, though, because they tweeted it and they had no idea. I'm like, I just learned this was a render. Hey, can you make more? I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was like, I've got plans. <laughs> but, so
0: that was one of the recent projects you made. Um, yeah, you you're obviously making a lot more nowadays. Is there any specific project? Any specific driver, team, brand, series? Do you have like a bucket list of things that you want to do or designs you want to create that are, you know, towards the top of your list? I mean, for me, uh, right? Like you have goals and aspirations of, yeah. you know, calling the Indy 500, doing this, doing that, whatever. Right. What yeah. does that look like for you? What does that look like for a designer?
2: Um, I mean, I guess for me, um, I don't know. I usually never really set like big goals for myself. I usually never set really big ones. I set like really small little ones to kind of like bump up to, you know, like right now I really want to make a helmet. <laughs> I really want to design a helmet really bad. Um, Greg
0: off axis. Are you listening?
2: Uh, <laughs> um, I, I also really want to, um, open up my, uh, open up, open up my open wheel. Um, design wheelhouse i want to see if i can really really put my foot down and make some really great like indie car designs you know um it's just such think a you can't it's, it's just a hunch i've i've done a couple i've done a couple i've done formula one formula um, ones are badass for sure yeah but i want to nail down i want to nail down some really really good indie car liveries but i'm really not sure where to start but um, you said
0: liveries so when so you cross over to the open wheel world is you got you, you have to. You have to still call paint it,
2: You have to call a livery. That's the word. Have to. Okay. Yeah, you have to. If you say a NASCAR livery, people will look at you and go, "Can you like leave, please?" But if you say a
0: Formula One paint scheme, people. And will look yeah, at you, and like, people oh. are like, "Yeah, huh?" <laughs> <It's, what's> a, <laughs> Get this no, American out of
2: here. Yeah, there's no paint on the car, mate. <laughs> it's,
0: That's a pretty good one, mate. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it to you.
2: But yeah, open wheel cars and then a helmet. Yeah. Uh, my, my my biggest goal though is like I uh I want to be able to have um like I wanna make something on the level of of what Sam Bass used to make. I wanna I wanna make I wanna make a paint scheme. It's on lunch boxes, it's on hats, it's on posters. I, I wanna make something like that. That's like my big like I will die happy. If, if I get to that point where I can make something that is like iconic, you know, like something that's mm-hmm. like, it's that car, right? You know, it's like a maiden, it's like the maiden voyage car. You know, it's like the one, that's that's like my big goal, like a rainbow warrior or yeah. a Budweiser number eight, you know? And sometimes that's really not up to the designer. Usually the driver makes that car popular, but if I ever got to a point where I made a scheme and it was on everything, like that's where I know I could like, that's my, that's my calling the uh, Indy 500. From, you yeah. know,
0: not to burst your bubble, but I think that may already have happened with the show car. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 the,
2: the closest, the closest I've got to like a, to like a, like that's their car. I, I um, is definitely like the Hooters car. Like I've gotten a lot, that one's gotten close so far. I've, yeah. I mean, the garage guys love that car. Um, I've seen that on t-shirts and everywhere. Too.
0: You got time to make that thing grow.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, there's, I'm, I don't know how many races it'll run. I don't, after this year, I don't know if they'll continue using it, but just, I don't know. It was a lot of fun making it. It was like, it was like, I had nothing to base any designs off of like for the forward number placement. <laughs> there was no cars that were made yet. When I was making this, I was making it like, I like think I started November last year. Is when I like started making it, and I think it like got wrapped up like that same month. And um, I was gonna make the fire suit. I was making the fire suit, but we were too late because their fire suits are from uh, uh, Italy. I think they're from Italy, so it takes like you know takes fifteen years for it. yeah. So they just had to Ain't make no more supply chain. It. Yeah, so I I was so close to having another fire suit and it would have been awesome. The only other fire suit that I've designed was the, um, was Dawson Cram's Bee water fire suit. That was it. So, uh, but, but yeah, like I said, that's like my main, my main priority. I want to, I want to make a scheme that's iconic and that like people will recognize. I got no
0: doubt that you'll be able to do that in due time. You keep up the good work you're doing now. You don't need to hear it from me because who cares what I think in the paint scheme or livery (laughs) design world. But you are one of, if not the best. You are on the Mount Rushmore of my designers for sure. Um, and I will leave you with this. Um, I know Andrea Brimmer. She uh, figuratively and literally has been an ally to you. Um, I'm just saying that she's a Michigan State Spartan. I'll leave it at that.
2: Yeah. Well, when we're all from Michigan, we can all root against one one single thing. And I think you know what it is.
0: I think I do too.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And I will I will also keep up the good fight if he's listening. Eric Jones, he lives closer to East Lansing than he does Ann Arbor, but he's still yeah. a Michigan fan, so he's a traitor. So I, I think it might
2: be the same with uh, – actually, I think Keselowski uh, – where's Rochester Hills in comparison? I think I looked it up. I think it's about even, know. so I'll yeah. let have it. Yeah, I don't know. My stepdad loves Keselowski. They look identical too, so yeah.
0: – <laughs> <laughs> Uh well Noah, this has been a thrill to chat with you. Um again, I just I I can't thank you enough. I sound like a race car driver, can't thank you enough, but you you were incredible in in the openness and honesty that you shared. And I said it once, I'll say it again, you're gonna help a lot of people when they listen to this. You're gonna continue to help a lot of people when they follow you on social and you know, you're being open and and honest and transparent about mental health. And part of the reason why I wanted to have you on around this time is it's pride month and the Jimmy pride car kind of sparked, um, a lot of this conversation. And also it was just mental health awareness month. And that's been Mm -hmm. something that is really close and important to you as well as it is for me. So I appreciate you as a person. I appreciate your work and I appreciate your time here today and everything that you shared. I love you, brother. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
2: Of course. And love you too, man. We go back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we do.
0: First Twitter Cup Series for life. Yeah, <laughs> Yep. And we are back. Told you guys, man. That is one tough cat. What he told me in that hour plus was so, so important. And I found myself kind of just looking at my recorder and seeing the time go up and up and up. And I realized that I was just listening for upwards of 15, 20, 30 minutes at some points without really saying anything. And I was happy to do that because I learned, I listened, and I'm there for my boy. And that was one of my friends. And, you know, I know, and I knew all the stuff that he went through and he continues to go through. But the fact that he was able to dive into that a little bit deeper and not only tell me, but tell everybody listening to tell you guys the fact that you're not alone and you know, there's different ways to go about it. And he was sharing his story. I think that was really not to, you know, be hyperbolic or anything, but I feel like that's really inspirational and that's really important. And I, if he's still listening, Noah, I'll say it again. I meant every word that I said, and I really, really appreciate you being so honest, open and transparent with your story. It's gonna help a lot of people. And I think that if nothing else will be the legacy of this episode, that you are not alone. You can, and you will get through it, and there are people there to help you through it. So thank you so much to Noah for giving me the time, giving me the honesty, and again, one of the more serious episodes that we've had, but I think one of, if not the most important one that we've had as well. No real easy way to transition out of that to talking about racing when everything else seems inconsequential, but we do come on this show to talk about racing, and I know that you come to the show to hear some analysis about racing, so that's what I'm going to give you. Let's chat about Gateway for a little bit. Worldwide Technology Raceway. Man, it was a blast. Sold-out crowd. Great activation in the midway, in the infield, around the city of St. Louis and Madison. Really, really good vibes. And I was I was just pleased to see it. I mean, I went to the track four or so years ago for a KN West and East combo event. IndyCar was running there on the same weekend. And I don't know if the track was up to Cup standards. They've obviously done some renovations since then. But back then, if you told me that the Cup Series was going to race there, I would have said, cool. Like, okay. I don't know if it's going to be the best thing ever, but I'm here for it. But Curtis Francois, Chris Blair, the whole team over there at Worldwide Technology Raceway, they have done an immaculate job, like seriously, of renovating that facility, upgrading it, promoting the heck out of it. In the St. Louis market, from everybody that was there, they were saying that they saw signs on billboards, commercials, newspaper ads, everything. It kind of felt like an old-school race week promotionally, and I think that's a really, really good thing. And the race was pretty solid to boot, too. You had Kyle Busch and Joey Logano battling for the win, a couple slide jobs, a couple crossovers. Driver 22, ah, Frank, gets the victory. That was really, really great racing from both of those gentlemen. And also, that was not the only first-time race at a new venue that occurred this past weekend because the NASCAR Xfinity Series trekked up through the Pacific Northwest and they raced at Portland International Raceway. I think it was much of the same there. It was great to get into a new market, great to go to a new track. The thing about Portland, though, from what I saw at least, was that the amenities were lacking. They, they needed to be improved. the The bleachers had some moss on them. There wasn't really a lot of activations, or merchandise haulers, or anything like that, but oh my god, holy bejesus, shout out to the Pacific Northwest fans, you wanted NASCAR, you got it, and you didn't let the rain stop you, that's me clapping on my leg, bravo, I mean, I would have been throwing a hissy fit sitting outside in the rain for three, four hours, but you guys, you absolutely took it in stride, and I get that's what happens in Portland, but man, it was great to see a good fan turnout and AJ Almendinger put on a show for you, didn't he? Came from the back to the front a couple times, and Jesse Uwuji tried to make things interesting with Ty Gibbs. That is a different story for a different day, but it was a good race, and I think the track itself could potentially have some staying power if NASCAR and the track and everybody involved are willing to kind of pony up the money to renovate some certain things there and bring in new activations. But I think if we learn one thing from this past Xfinity Series weekend— It's that the Pacific Northwest deserves a NASCAR race. I think they deserve a cup race. That's me personally. But I think they deserve a NASCAR National Series race, if not multiple. And I think Portland's a good place to do it. I think having a street course in potentially Denver or Portland or Seattle or Vancouver, wherever you want to have it, I think that that is a good thing. So I'm all for new markets. Gateway accomplished that. Portland accomplished that. And oh, by the way, the racing was pretty good too. We got Sonoma on the docket this weekend. I always love this race weekend. I've been fortunate to go out to Sonoma a couple times over the last few years for the race weekend, covering K&N and stayed for the Cup Series as well. The Truck Series is actually going to be heading out to Sonoma this weekend as well for the first time since the late 1990s. So I'm going to be interested to see how the tough truckers of NASCAR take to that road course in Northern California. Northern California is some of my favorite weather out there. I love sweatshirt and shorts. I know it's going to be hotter than that this weekend, but for the most part, San Fran, Sonoma, Napa, San Jose, like, oh, chef's kiss. That's my stuff right there. So everybody going out to Sonoma, be safe getting out there, wear your sunscreen, and soak up the sun and enjoy everything for me because, man, I'm going to miss it. And I know that you guys listened to last week's show with Jill Gregory, EVP and GM of Sonoma Raceway, but if you haven't, go listen to it after this because you get to hear a lot of different upgrades and things that are on tap for this upcoming race weekend out in wine country. So after you finish listening to me in about a minute or so, go listen to Jill if you haven't already because she was great, and I know Sonoma is going to be great as well that'll wrap things up for episode 151 of victory lane 2.0 again huge thank you to noah sweet for coming on and sharing his story a really really important episode i think for you guys if you like what you heard here today or you found it inspirational or impactful in any way please do me a favor don't just leave a rating in a review and subscribe but tweet me at Davy Center, tweet Noah at lefty underscore designs on Twitter. You can also find his work all over the place on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you get your podcast, you can find this show and wherever you find me on social media, you can most likely find Noah as well. So if it's just a message of support, if it's a message of, hey, I appreciate you sharing your story, whatever you feel is appropriate, I'm sure that Noah would really appreciate hearing from you guys. As would I. So as I mentioned, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your pods. We should be available there for your consumption. And again, I'm plugging Noah. He's the man. Does great work. One of the best designers in the NASCAR community. I know we had Harris Lew on before. He's up there too. And there's so many, countless other ones that I want to have on the show eventually. But man, it's been an action-packed week of racing. It's been an action-packed episode. And I know that this weekend's action or racing is not going to disappoint. I'm excited for it all. Trucks and Cup from Sonoma. Don't forget about ARCA West, too. And don't forget about coming back next week for more Victory Lane. We'll catch you next week, party people. Be good.